0: joining us again today. Today we're going to deal with a very interesting subject, which is the use of astrology for financial forecasting. And we'll also come to understand something of the nature of cycles in general as they show up through the precession of the equinoxes and how that is uh, largely articulated through the mythical iconic symbols in astrology—that is, the zodiac itself, the, the twelve months, the twelve the uh, the twelve symbols of those months, the twelve characters—in many ways, mythological symbols, etc and how these tell a story, and they've been telling a story throughout civilization, actually, from the most ancient of times, and it's shown up in mythology in architecture and different uh, civilizational uh, expressions, including astrology and including ancient scripture from all over the world, in fact. It's a very interesting story in itself. Well, we have with us as today's guest Norm Winsky, who has been looking at these subjects for a long time and whose specialty is financial forecasting, through which he has made himself a quite uh, handsome fortune. So we know that it works from first-hand experience. He'll be sharing with us some of his insights and some of the way he operates, some of the way that financial forecasting can be used for understanding the mechanisms and the influences of different times of the year, literally even different um, months and days of a week, as they will either be influencing uh, markets in such a way that it would be better to buy oats or barley or to sell them gets very granular, if you will. And that, by the way, includes the sale of sugar. So we're in for a good time here. A few more words about Norm. He, among his many talents, is, as I said, uh, from the field of financial forecasting and markets, he's worked in forecasting options, commodities, And different types of trading. Norm Winsky has been a member of major stock exchanges, major exchanges, excuse me, for some 12 years. And in the August 1991 issue of Technical Analysis of Stocks and Commodities magazine, he was named a quote, certified technical genius, end quote. So it's very interesting for us to have him on. He is the publisher also of the Astro trend newsletter since 1978. He has been on this trail in the cycle, you could say, for many decades, really. His work has also included his own study and research into the work of W.D. Gann, the Elliott Wave Theory, astrophysics, astrology, of course, music, which is a form of mathematics, of course, but it's much more beautiful to hear. The Fibonacci cycle and series and other aspects of harmonic analysis. We won't be getting that technical today, but we'll certainly give you some understanding of the relationship between uh, forecasting, astrology and markets. So it's uh with great pleasure that I have invited Norm Winski to a Better World Radio. Norm, welcome to the show. Good to have you on.
1: Thank you very much, Mitch, for having me. I'm great to be on your show.
0: Absolutely. Good. Can
1: you hear me okay? So,
0: Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Just fine. Uh, Let's open up first with a little bit of your own background, and then we'll go into what I was saying about the way we can understand some of the things you were sharing with me recently, Norm, about the uh, precession of the equinoxes and the way that shows up in in different contexts, different societal contexts, historical and otherwise, and understand the role of astrology in that, then we'll move into uh, the financial forecasting, if you would. So, take it from the top. Let us know. How did you get into this, and what did you do with it?
1: Oh, how did I get into this? Uh, I was, yep. uh, I got interested in the, uh, the stock market when I was 15. I was studying that and then I went off to college <laughs> and then, and I was, I'm a sort of a natural board people watcher. I like to watch, uh, you know, one of the people is, of somebody who sits in an outdoor cafe and watch the people go by and you know, all, all the crazy stuff they do, you know? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. And
1: so, uh, one day they I do. was in a bookstore, uh, you know, when I was going, while I was going to college and, uh, Saw an astrology book. I was skeptical. I thought it was uh, nonsense, and but I picked up the book and started reading through it, and I said, "Wow, this is kind of interesting." I'll take it back to the dorm and try it out on some of my friends, and I was amazed at how accurate. They were all going, "How did you do that?" And that's amazing. And so then I started getting more, studied more astrology. So in other words,
0: at that moment you were looking at, you could say, character types, the way the uh, the sun sign and the rising, et cetera, was reflective in their personality. Absolutely. So
1: then I thought, uh, there's got to be more to this than one book. So I got more books and studied more. And then about a year later, meanwhile, I'm you know also doing the stock market. And so about a year later, I ran across the book that tied the two. I thought, well, you know, astrology is psych- psychology, and the market is psychology. There's got to be a way to tie the two together. And about a year later, I stumbled on a book that did that, Donald Bradley's Stock Market Prediction, showed you how you could – uh take uh, astrological uh, planetary positions and do a you know uh, uh quantify that and put it on a graph and do a, a forecast so that's that got me started on on doing the financial astrology
0: that's interesting and then how did you do at once you began implying
1: how to say that again
0: how did you do yourself financially when you started to how did I, do? I did quite donald well. bradley's uh ideas
1: you mean, how did I do financially? Yes. Yeah, I did well. I started investing in the, the stock market while I was in college there and made enough money to, uh, you know, I, I was uh, uh, majoring in economics and finance, got the idea. I started trading options. Options were new back then. And I asked uh, uh, my prof when I was a senior if I could uh, go research the Chicago Board of Options Exchange. He said okay. So I went to the went to Chicago and uh researched that, and uh, and I said, how do you become a member here? And they sent me to the chairman of the membership committee, and he said, uh, uh, son, you got you know, After answering all my questions, he said, son, you got any money? I said, well, I got a small inheritance. He said, here, put your name on this list. You can buy a membership for $25,000. they are trading in the open market to forty five, and that sounded like a nice profit to me. So I did that and ended up going to Chicago right out of school. Trade the the so made. you were
0: on the exchange, the commodities yeah. exchange.
1: Oh, the and you stock, were, Chicago Bird Options, Chicago Board Options Exchange with stock options, and they were they were a child of the Chicago Board of Trade, which is it was at the time the world's largest, uh, you know, uh, one of the largest uh, futures exchanges in the world. They mostly did, uh, famous for doing grains and that sort of thing, you know,
2: agricultural
0: right. Sure. Uh, commodities. So how much better? Did you see you were doing from the fellows to your left and your right?
1: I'm about to Say that question again.
0: <clears> Hi, <throat> you were using astrology for making your your financial decisions, correct?
1: Right. Yeah.
0: So, how much better, let's say, approximately statistically, were you doing than the fellows to your right and your left?
1: Oh, no, I'd I would say after I got over the learning curve there, how to trade and that sort of thing, then I think it was a year there where I was probably in the top five percent of the traders on the floor there. I don't know. That's hard hard to quantify that, you know. Uh,
0: yeah, I was I just, just asking I, in general. I, in other words, just, we're trying to I just that
1: I just know if I hadn't trying to tool. assess
0: we're trying to assess the particular value of astrology in this context so Mm -hmm. that's why I asked that question so we could have some kind of yardstick if they were just throwing darts at the (laughs) target or flipping coins or doing some research and you were using astrology what's the, you know, some sense of, of probabilistic difference that's I couldn't give you exact
1: numbers. For. I don't know what everybody else was doing. I didn't ask to see their P&L runs and so forth, how much money they're making. You know, you kind of have a general sense. I was told that I was probably in the first, after about a, a year and a half or so, I was probably in the top 5 or 10% of people there on the floor. So Very good. good.
0: Very good. Very good. So let's yeah, make
1: that, I was that, making, uh, You know, I, I, at one point I was struggling. Because, you know, there's a learning curve there to knowing how to trade and so forth. And, Absolutely, and, uh, you know. So I, my account got down to about five hundred bucks, and and in about eighteen months, I had it close to a million dollars. So,
0: wow, we that. Well, I think that that story says a lot in itself. You know, you were in your early twenties, and uh, that's a significant jump. You know, so. You you answered the question. That's great, that's great. So let's take a look and then we'll move more into the financial forecasting. That's a little bit of your background to the point that you were... um, said to be by that particular magazine, the Commodities Magazine, a certified technical genius, and certainly we're going to want to pick your brain about this. But let's just take a moment to look at astrology from a a larger point of view and look at it from the point of view of the procession of the equinoxes. Would you walk us through what it is you were sharing with me? I was so pleased to hear of what that is and what are its implications for us okay. here on planet Earth?
1: Okay, well, first of all, the process of the equinoxes is you have to imagine that the planets are like the hour, minute and hour hand on a clock, and the the stars behind that is kind of like the face of the clock. And the difference of this clock is not only do the hands move, but the face of the clock moves, and that's the stars, the background there. And so that those stars relative to the Earth are moving backwards through the Zodiac at about 1 degrees every 72 years. So we can move the whole face there. Right now uh, we're in the age of Pisces due to the way the, their things are aligned. It takes about 2,150 years to move through a Zodiac sign on this basis. So if we go back mm-hmm. about 4,000 years to the time of the Egyptians. We were in the age of Taurus. Taurus is said to be the a fixed earth sign so that means you have earth is material and fixed means unmoving unchanging and so and then the opposite sign of Taurus is Scorpio which has to do with death and afterlife and regeneration and so if you go look at what the main what the Egyptians were most famous for was building the pyramids they haven't moved in 4000 years that's kind of fixed earth symbol symbology and they built yes. those for the afterlife of the pharaohs which is the opposite sign of Scorpio. So you have the Taurus-Scorpio reflection of the, at that time, the, the Age of Taurus. Then as we got toward the end of the Age of Taurus, we had uh, Moses lead the uh, lead the uh, Hebrews out of Egypt. There's a whole symbology there trying to leave the Age of Taurus, leave e- e- Egypt, and go toward the Age of Aries. Aries is the sign of one, one-ism, and, and it's the ram, and one of the major symbols of, of uh, Judaism is the ram's horn, and, and Ares mm-hmm. is the ram. And so and then Moses, the opposite sign of Aries is Libra, which is the law. So Moses went up on the mountain and came down with the law. So you have all the symbology there. One is a monotheism. You have the ram's horn. You have the law, Libra. Then we go about uh, you know, roughly 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 years uh, later, then all the, then everything lines up for to move into Pisces because we're going backwards to the science. and then the the uh, uh, smaller cycles, uh, relatively speaking, you have Jupiter and, and and Saturn line up in Pisces right at the time the processional equinox was going into Pisces and so the three wise men who were astrologers uh, looking for the uh, figure that fit the fit that chart so that's uh, how we got Jesus so the major symbology of Christianity. Is uh, the fishes and the loaves? You have the Pisces as fish. The opposite sign of Pisces is Virgo, and that's the uh, goddess of grain and, and wheat and so forth. And that's where you have the loaves. So it's all it's all there. Very and now we're moving to uh, modern times. Now, if you saw the show Hair, the musical Hair, they talk about the Age of Aquarius. Now we're getting close to where we're going to move out of Pisces into the Age of Aquarius. That's the song. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. That's kind of like the transitional period where you're kind of right on the cusp there of the sign. And I believe that that's going to begin in about 2020 when Jupiter and Saturn line up in Aquarius and the an equinox is getting close to moving into the uh, uh, sign Aquarius.
0: That's very interesting. And the opposite of Aquarius is Leo.
1: Leo. And so, therefore, Aquarius has to do with, one of the things Aquarius has to do with, is although a lot of people think it's the water bearer, but it's not really water. It's symbolic water. If you look at it, it's a man holding a jug and stuff is coming out. That's really the life force. It's like electromagnetism. It's like electricity coming out of there. It's
0: like what we understand is chi. Yeah. What's that? It's what we understand from the ancient Chinese idea of chi, life force. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And then the opposite of Leo. So that implies that in the not-too-distant future, we'll probably have solar energy. Because Leo uh-huh. is ruled by the sun.
0: Surely. Surely. Or you could say lion energy. Maybe we'd have a lot of lion energy.
1: Mayan or
0: lion? Lion.
1: Lions. Lions. Okay.
0: Okay. I'm playing with you. I'm playing. Okay. I'm kidding. You're being a playful uh, uh, lion. Of course, because, uh, you know, Leo the lion. So, in other words, everything is working backwards from the procession point of view, and always accommodating and relating to its opposite, such as, you said, you know, you've got uh, in this last case of the Aquarius, Leo, before that, it was uh Pisces, Virgo and Taurus um sorry, Scorpio. Scorpio right yep. exactly so very very interesting and so you say that what we've been talking about as the age of Aquarius will right. be beginning from your estimation 2020
1: that's the uh, when the dawning begins sort of the transitional period and Aquarius so is uh, big on Aquarius is big on scientific things, uh, humanitarian things, and, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, technology, computers, surely, electronics. So what
0: what would you say you would anticipate then, Norm, about the changes you would anticipate or forecast in our society, contradistinct from what it is like now?
1: Um, just, I think we're, we're going to accelerate the whole technology thing even more. And we'll probably get, like I said, we'll probably get solar energy. And uh, you know, who, I'm I'm not a visionary. I just uh, you know try to report what I see. That's that's it. So uh, you know, well, I think, what is it uh, that man, be, I'm
0: trying to find uh, find out from might you, do,
1: might get a based on your religion. knowledge
0: of astrology, what it is you would see? Because right now, you could say there's a huge issue around humanitarian values. I mean, they're oh. there, but they are thinking in many, most respects across the planet like a rock. Um, so, based on what you're saying, we're maybe moving toward a more humanitarian based society, which right now it's more talk than action. And maybe then there would be either equal talk and action or more action than talk. I don't know. Okay. Is that a fair kind of um supposition to
1: make? Uh I would go along with that, yeah.
0: Okay. But it's well, hard to
1: what, say uh, what form it's gonna take, you know. I think it might be uh, a bit of a paradox and that uh, uh you know, maybe I would probably uh go with uh, maybe we get more move more toward a free market capitalistic type society, you know, where people have equal opportunity but you have to, to make it. You know, it's not uh, not welfare, you know, not socialism. More, you know, more individualism, you know.
0: More individualism. Yeah. Okay. More than, let's say, at the beginning of the United States being founded, more than the time Uh, of Adam Smith.
1: Well, that that's a whole different thing. We had a agrarian society then. It's you know we're we're not you know we're not even in that universe anymore. But compared to now, we have a rather socialistic uh thing going here with the united states and the rest of the world uh, you know i think that think get a couple of these countries going bankrupt though uh, i think people start moving away from that
0: yeah yeah no it's interesting uh no so would we expect to see more of the characteristics of aquarius or of leo or would no, I think that it be showing will be up.
1: dominant but it will pull from its reflection is uh, you know the opposite leo so it will pull okay. something somewhat from that understood understood yep.
0: you know people have been waiting i think uh, it'll, it'll kind of undermine
1: i think it'll undermine the pisces thing which is uh, very ideological and so forth and so uh, i think you uh-huh. might get a shift in terms of a new world religion based more on science and technology and And less on uh, mythology and that sort of thing, you know?
0: Interesting. And that might even apply to the body politic, where it would become less ideological and perhaps sort of more practical and maybe even effective. Right. Would that be a fair supposition? More pragmatic, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. That's interesting. Well, I can't wait for 2020, (laughs) but I will. Okay. All right, so that's interesting so the other um the other comment uh I could make here uh regarding all that you laid out, which is so interesting about looking at looking at uh the movement from the age of Taurus forward through the astrological processional lens if you will uh suggests that the ancient texts such as Uh, the Old Testament, telling the story, the five books of Moses, um, can be understood essentially as an astrological zodiacal text.
1: I think there's definitely some allegory there, some uh, symbolism. And, you know, if you want to really get into the weeds there, uh, there's astrology all through the Bible and the Torah and so forth. You know, they talked about Solomon's temple, uh, the four gates of the temple, uh, relates to the uh, four fixed signs of the zodiac. You have Taurus, Leo, Scorpio, and Aquarius. If you go read that uh, with an astrological point of view, you'll you'll see it relates nicely. Uh, they take that same uh, 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 context, that same template, and use it in the uh, New Testament. I think for the uh, uh, you know the four apostles is that right? the Four apostles. You have the uh, Luke, Mark, and uh, who's the other one? Uh, John Two. Yeah, those are personalities, personalities, I think, relate to the four fixed signs. Uh, If you talk about, let's talk about, uh, let's see, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, and uh, that's where we got the 12 tribes. And if you read their personalities and go back to that time, now we're back to the time of the Egyptians again, when... uh, when, uh, when uh, uh, let's see, Joseph went to Egypt. That was the time during the uh, that was in the age of Taurus. Back then, the the first sign of the zodiac was considered to be Taurus. So if you count from Taurus and you read the description of the personalities of the twelve signs, and then you qu- count around to the eleventh son, which was Joseph, you'll land on Pisces, and he was the dream. Pisces is the dream sign, and Joseph uh, made his reputation as a dream interpreter for the pharaoh.
0: Indeed. So it all fits. Oh, that's so interesting. Yes. So the first son. I, I mean, they describe the first.
1: They described the first son, Reuben, as a mm-hmm. materialistic, greedy kind of guy, and uh, that's uh, Taurus is a materialistic sign, and he was the first son, so that corresponds to Taurus. So it all fits.
0: Well, be careful with the way you say that, Norm, because I am Taurus sun sign, and just. be okay. the- Because we may be materialistic, which I'm not, doesn't mean we're greedy, which I'm not. So you know, we have to be very careful about generalization. I think greed. I
1: think greed is good. I think greed is good. You
0: do, yeah, right, right, right. You and uh, Michael Douglas. Well, I would, I would, I would uh, beg to differ, but we're not going to open up that one right now. Um, Okay. uh, But. Uh what other symbolism would one wanna be looking out for when it comes to understanding the ancient scripture or mythology for that matter.
2: It's very uh, interesting they about, talk
0: about the twelve story, tribes. The story of Dan and, uh, is the story
1: of uh Daniel. He uh, yes. wrestling the lion, you know right? And uh, there's the, the, he's he's described as a Scorpio wrestling the lion, so you have a Leo uh Scorpio Leo uh, uh uh wrestling match, you know?
0: Oh yeah, okay. Now, how yeah. how is that? I'm I'm I don't get that.
1: Uh well I think he was described as a Scorpio. And he okay. had, to, had to and he had to fight the the lion. I think they put him in they put him in the cage with a, a lion or something like that, right? And, the, and that's a Leo. So there's so, some I symbolism mean- there, you know
0: what exactly. So but you know what it really looks like it wasn't like the symbolism of the four gates of Solomon for instance was added to the text but maybe was actually the basis of the text to help us understand through story uh the story of the universe or cosmology which is the procession of the equinoxes.
1: That could be and the twelve tribes, you know, the twelve tribes correspond and the 12 tribes. to the twelve tribes, exactly to the twelve signs of the zodiac. Exactly. There's a reason exactly. that there's twelve people on a jury. That's all based on the the original idea of a jury with twelve people was that you would have sure. a diverse, you know, at least have each sign a diverse uh, a group of people's opinions, you know, representing the twelve signs of the zodiac. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Here I'll it's tell really you a very interesting because story. I'll tell you a little American history story. So we—I briefly mentioned that uh, uh, when Jesus was born, the astrologers, the, the wise men, the three wise men, somebody yeah. because Jupiter and Saturn lined up in Pisces. Well, that's that's part of a cycle within a cycle thing. The Jupiter-Saturn thing. There's a cycle that at that occurs. Jupiter-Saturn lines up every about every 19 and a half years it it stays in the uh, there's 12 you know there's 12 signs each sign is uh the signs are divided into four elements fire earth air and water mm-hmm. and so that cycle continues in the same element it'll hop to another sign of the same element and continue doing that for uh, 240 to 270 years then that's the with the first the smaller one the 19 and a half year cycle is the mutation cycle then the next one up is called the grand mutation, when you stay in the same element and do that for about 240 to 270 years. And then there's the great mutation cycle, which lasts about 960 years. Okay. And so every 240 to 270 years, that Jupiter-Saturn conjunction shifts into a different element. You start a new cycle. So here's an American history story. So in 1840, Jupiter and Saturn lined up, and they changed element and got into earth. They had been in fire. The shift of the earth. Uh, William Henry Harrison was elected president. He decided that uh, would be a swell thing to walk uh, <laughs> to walk to his inauguration on a cold and rainy day in Washington D.C. And he got pneumonia, and he was uh, he was dead in 40 days. He's the shortest I think the shortest president, presidential president we've ever had. You know. Yeah. So from that point on, you might know that every twenty years, roughly, with Jupiter Saturn conjunction, whoever was president during that period of time died in office up until uh, Reagan.
0: Oh, right? really? Died
1: Yeah, you know, it's called the uh, Tecumseh's Curse. The reason it's called Tecumseh's Curse is because before Harrison was president, you know, he was a general and fought the Battle of Tippecanoe against the Indians uh, against the. Uh, uh the chief Tecumseh in the, in at the Battle of Tippecanoe in Indiana. It's a good near where I grew up, you know. I didn't know about the Battle of Tippecanoe, it's not too far for where I grew up. And mm-hmm. uh so uh, what happened was they had the uh uh, uh had the two uh, brothers running the tribe there and one was sort of the military leader, and the other was sort of the spiritual leader. The military leader was Tecumseh. He was off at an Indian conference, big Indian conference somewhere, and told his brother, "Don't do anything." You know, they knew that the uh, the Americans were, you know, nearby, and uh, don't don't provoke them. You know.
2: So apparently
1: the brother didn't listen to him, It provoked uh, Harrison to attack, and it kind of had a wipeout there of the uh, Indians. So, uh, so obviously Tecumseh was, to say the least, uh, uh, you know had a big grudge against Harrison, and supposedly they put a curse on him. Oh, by the way, uh, Tecumseh and his brother called the Prophet. Uh, the the way they uh, got to power was when they were, I think they were. Taken as prisoners when they were kids, you know, they, there was a battle, and uh, and I don't know if they're uh, they were taken from their tribe or something. And so they grew up around uh, with white missionaries, and they learned how to read English and so forth. And so one day they were looking at, through some of the books that the missionaries had, and they had an almanac, and they learned about uh, learned about eclipses. And so they got the idea that go someday they'll go back to their tribe, and they could for, be able to forecast when there was going to be an eclipse. So that's mm. what they did. They went back to the tribe and they said, "Oh, at midday today, the the sun will disappear from the sky." And now, now the Indians are like scared of these guys that they have some kind of, you know, magical powers. And that's how they got to the power.
0: Uh, that's how the white man got the power.
1: That's how the the uh, Tecumseh and his brother, the Prophet, came to oh, power. They themselves. Oh. Uh, yeah, got because it, yeah. they they knew they could uh, use the almanac. They they right. use an almanac. They could predict when the eclipse was going to
0: occur. Yes, exactly. So they seemed all powerful to the others. Yeah.
1: Very. So any fast forward.ing Now we have the Battle of Tippecanoe. That's how we got the campaign slogan uh, Tippecanoe and Tyler too. That was a nickname for William Henry Harrison. And so then, supposedly, legend has it that Chief Tecumseh uh, put a curse on Harrison in, in the United States. That uh, you know, uh, so po- supposedly every 20 years or something, uh, that uh, a president would die in office or something like You can look it up in Wikipedia. But what, what I believe is really happening is when Harrison died in office, he set a precedent. He set a cycle in motion there, and so therefore, all maybe if he didn't walk to his inauguration to get sick and die, we might not have that happen. But he did that. I think that I think there's an interplay there between cycles and and people and events. And the events can yes. set the cycle, and the cycles can set the events. You know, yes. Just my belief. Very you know? interesting. This my theory. Yeah, so anyway, so we had, we so had the,
0: the astrological, Diana. the astrological configuration set the context for another cycle, a human right. cycle, to kick right. in based on his or her behavior,
1: uh huh.
0: Which which led to certain outcomes, i.e., death, and then that set a a precedent, no pun intended, for uh, presidential death in office up to a certain point.
1: Yep, so you you had Lincoln uh, assassinated. You had uh, Hayes, uh, was he assassinated or died in office? You had McKinley definitely assassinated. Uh, Mm -hmm. Then after that we had uh, Harding died in office.
0: Harding, Roosevelt, Roosevelt. And then
1: Roosevelt died in office. No, uh, Franklin uh, died.
0: Did he? No, I don't think Roosevelt died in office, did he? Yes, he did,
1: 1945 in Georgia. He went for a vacation, April of 45, for FDR died in office.
0: Absolutely. I mean, FDR? No, I'm talking about Teddy. I'm talking about Teddy. Teddy, Teddy did not die in office.
1: He did not, did not die, die in
0: office. So that in no, I did not
1: Roosevelt. I said after McKinley, it was Harding, and then after Harding, it was FDR.
0: Can't okay, remember. so in other words. It 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 wasn't each consecutive president, but it was no, a no, cycle. No, no. I said every. I said every twenty every years. Every twenty years. I'm
1: sorry. Which corresponds to Jupiter Saturn conjunction.
0: I see. Got it. Very yeah. interesting. Very interesting. So I just want to just hearken back for a moment, and then we'll go into some of the use of what you're saying for um, financial purposes, which is I know. Right, well, the, let me uh, finish
1: the story. If I could, of of I think world. you're going to like that. Yeah.
0: Please. Please.
1: So anyway, so we did. We kept that cycle going. Always Jupiter Saturn conjuncting Earth signs. All the presidents died who were elected with that until we got to 1980 with Ronald Reagan. Okay. Oh. Now what? A strange thing happened. It only happens about once every uh, 960 years or so. That's where the these Jupiter Saturn conjunction flips out of that element, temporarily jumps into another element. And then comes back again. So when Reagan was elected, the Jupiter Saturn conjunction occurred in an air sign, Libra, not in an Earth sign. And that was a fl- like a fluke. So the next time when Bush was elected, uh that w- it was back in Earth. But the the cycle then had been broken because uh Reagan survived the uh, assassination attempt. Mhm. Okay.
0: Interesting. Yes.
1: And I predicted. That and that's you're saying you're about. suggesting
0: that he he he. Dodged that bullet, so to speak, at least the, you know, that he did not die, I mean, uh, because right. it wasn't in Earth, but it was in air. That's it. And then it went back to Earth.
1: One more time. Now we're going to go to air sign permanently. Well, not permanently, as permanent as it gets. for about 240, 270 years when Jupiter and Saturn line up in about 2020 in Aquarius. In so Aquarius. we'll start off a whole Got new it. cycle.
0: I understand. Very interesting. Very interesting. What are, these stories are fabulous. I mean, it really helps to understand history from an entirely different point of view. Of course, which is one with which you are familiar, and myself and my audience is becoming. So, what else would you like to illuminate from this point of view?
1: Uh, I don't know. Maybe we should talk about the markets. You might have You might have noticed that the markets have been moving rather
0: okay. Kind of energetically First let. Let's let everybody know that you are listening to A Better World Radio with Mitchell J. Rabin. We are on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. here on Blog Talk Radio. And uh, if you do not yet get our free newsletter, it's available at www.abetterworld.tv TV. We also announce in our newsletters who will be our guest on our weekly television show, aired here in the Big Apple in Manhattan every Monday at 7 p.m. So certainly tune in. You can also watch the show from the same website. So become part of a Better World community. We, uh, We so appreciate your attention to our shows, both television and radio, and do what we can to bring really interesting, really valuable and substantive material to the foreground. Today's guest is Norm Winsky who is an astrologer and financial forecaster who's done very well for himself and his students and clients over the course of many decades and he's got the track record to prove it and he's got the AstroTrend newsletter which comes out and in rather specific detail lays out what options, again, no pun intended, may be available to those who want to follow this kind of guidance. So, Norm Winski, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you utilize your astrological understanding for forecasting what's happening in the markets?
1: Okay, well, the uh, for example, the stock market it's the big basket of everything. There's a little bit of everything in the stock market, and it usually generally reflects the general mass psychology of the people. So, you know, you might have noticed that if you follow financial news, all, news at all, one day a news item will come out on a, on a Tuesday, for example, and the market will go up. Then they'll rehash the same story two days later, and the market will go down. On this, Oh, the market went up because of that. And then two days later, oh, the market went down for the same reason. So it's all about how people feel on a particular day.
0: Yes, indeed, and their interpretation and so what, how the planet, of the information. How the planets are,
1: so how the planets are configured out there, whether they're in a, a positive uh, configurations or negative configurations, uh, can correlate or possibly influence how people feel on any one given day. And then in the stock market, market manifests as a, a barometer of mass psychology.
0: Well, there's another, oh, there are probably several other variables, but for instance, um, uh, Virgo as the goddess of grain. If you look at the commodities markets and Virgo is well positioned on a given day, prominently, let's say, that might be an indicator, would it be, for what would be the better disposition of grain sales?
1: Well, that would be, you. I'd be looking at the grain market and Seeing if there's a possible trading opportunity there, we had. If you read, uh, I know you had got my letter there, uh, Mitch. And I emphasize yeah. on the markets. I emphasized in my letter was a uh, look interesting the first week of January, uh, toward the end of the first week of January, uh, for soybeans. There was a strong theme there that uh, I saw in the in the planets and, and the astrological uh, uh, signatures. And we had a new moon on the weekend and the new moon often corresponds to turns in the grain market. It's probably one of the easier markets to trade are the grains uh, because they tend to be lunar sensitive. They tend to make highs and lows with the full moon and new moon. Uh, because the grains were scraping bottom, they were very depressed, I thought that there was a good chance that we would make a low there. And despite the big down we've had in the stock market and some and crude oil and some other markets, soybeans have actually been moving up here the last couple of days.
0: And, and is that... In accordance with your understanding of what would happen, right? Well, I was I was thinking that we would have
1: a low uh, late, late last week, and now we're moving up. The, the grains are have been moving, staying firm here and moving higher with the with yes. the as of the new moon on Saturday.
0: Yes, but is that what yeah. you forecast?
1: Yeah, that's it's in the letter, I think.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a yeah. lot. It's a 40 page letter, so it's okay. uh, it's in great depth. So, okay, so you said it would be at the at the bottom, but with the advent of the new moon, it would start to move up.
1: Right. And in I, fact, thought we would make, I thought we'd be making a low there and then get a change in trend, which means you should start moving higher. It would
0: start to move up. Got it. Got it. So, have the people who have been following your advice, tell me a little bit about what kind of results they've seen over the talk. I have
1: no time. idea what what their results are if they re, if they renew their subscription they're happy campers every now and then they get a a great email where oh you're doing a great job da 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 so I don't ask to see their brokerage statements or ask them how much they're doing I did have one guy this is purely I don't know, hearsay whatever he told me I have no proof to this I had a right. relatively mm-hmm. new client uh, six months ago or so. And after about three or four months of getting my letter, and I have a course, too, he's taken the course, told me that he took his $10,000 account and ran it into $150,000 in a relatively short amount of time. So that's just, uh, wow. you know, what he told me. Whether it's true or not, I have no idea.
0: Interesting, interesting. Well, you would know something about your own account. Are you are you following to this day your own advice?
1: Uh, right now, I'm taking a trading sabbatical. I'm not, I haven't been trading lately. Okay. I traded for but, about 35 okay. years, made a living off of this for almost every day for about 35 years or so. And so my I know word. this stuff works. I show the results of my letter every month and show you the forecast from the last month, show you the charts, and say, here, I have this date as the forecast to turn, and you can go look at the chart and see whether it worked or not. I add up the numbers there and show you what, our, what the batting average is.
0: Okay, so in other words, in retrospect, you can... Show the accuracy of your work.
1: Oh sure. Now what people and do is that. That everybody, everybody trades a different way, so I can't say you know in terms of oh people are making this kind of return or making this kind of money because everybody trades it a different way. You know the trade. This is research. It's oh absolutely, research.
0: I understand that. I'm not talking but about what trading I do, styles. But,
1: but, but my my metric is. I show them yes. the batting average here. I have these forecasted dates for turns in the market, and here's the chart. Here's the results, and and they can, we can go from there. You know,
0: exactly. I think and I so, think
1: I just did. I just compiled the numbers for last year. I think <clears throat> for the stock market, I had somewhere. Uh-huh. I don't have the number in front of me. I think it was about seventy one, seventy two uh, percent. Uh, you know, uh, uh, winners on the uh, on the dates for the stock market.
0: That's that's exceptional. How do you account? How do you account? Just, you know, I don't want this to sound too academic, but in some way your information source is so sound because you're dealing with um, the physical attributes of movement of planets. And what would then account For you're not getting closer to eighty or ninety percent. Is it your interpretation of the information?
1: Well, because we don't know anything. You know, in the the world of investing, in Wall
0: Street, if you can, if you're over
1: sixty percent accurate in forecasting what the market's going to do, you're considered near genius. If you're over seventy percent, they're probably a genius. Yes. Listen, professional baseball players, the greatest baseball players of all time, batted four hundred. That means forty percent. Yes. Right. Exactly. It's all relative yeah. to the profession you're in. Nobody's in this in the markets is expected to do much more than you know. If you're in the sixties, if you can get two out of three, that's very considered very good.
0: Very true. Very true. So seventy-one yeah. or seventy-two would be. Quite a batting average, no question about yeah. it.
1: Now, the greatest no traders I've ever it. seen, when I was on the floor, for example, people would get a hot, and maybe for a little while they would be right ninety percent of the time.
0: Right. You know, that, so let me ask you. Not- um, uh, so let me ask you: as you look through your lens, do you, when you look at the financial markets altogether, because obviously there's a tremendous amount of trouble in the currency markets, in all the markets. Um, Look, the Chinese stock exchange has closed at least temporarily. They are riddled with issues and that has reverberations throughout the entire rest of the globe. Based on this, what kind of forecast are you seeing for markets in general across the planet?
1: Okay. Well, I'm going to give you my really big possible scenario here. I want you to consider the, we had an Internet bubble back in 2000. Then they decided to trade the Internet bubble after that imploded for a real estate and mortgage bubble. Then that bubble inverted, imploded. And then we traded that for a debt, a government debt bubble. Okay? Yes.
0: There's
1: nothing left. The government is the last line of defense. They, If this government debt bubble implodes, there's nowhere to go.
2: Exactly. There's a, principle,
1: it, it, there's a principle in charting the markets that you get three drives to a top or three drives to a bottom. Well, we now in, we're now in the third bubble of a major sort of a, a mega bubble, and I don't know what happens if uh, we implode here. You know, I mean, you know, I could normally I'd say, oh, we don't care whether markets go up or down; we can make money either way. But in this case, you yeah. can maybe make a fortune. You know, if you saw the movie The Big Short. You know, yeah, I was just fortune. about to bring that up, yes.
0: Uh-huh. People
1: can make fortunes going short, but the problem is if the whole system collapses and you call up your broker and say, okay, send me my you know, my fortune, and they go, well, sorry, we don't
0: have it. You know? Right, exactly. So, you so know, this a- is important. So what you're saying is that based on what you see um, on your many decades of experience and your access to the um astrological information. It well, this is not like really based so much
1: on astrology as historical patterns. You know, we could be at the juncture now of a 500-year civilization cycle. There was a professor called Dr. Raymond Wheeler who did amazing research, spent his entire, entire life chronicling weather cycles, civilization cycles, and came up with that there's a 510-year civilization cycle where we flip polarity from Eastern civilization to Western civilization and back again about every 510 years. Well, if you go back about 510 years from now, you're back at the time of about Columbus and when the Renaissance began and Western civilization woke up out of the Dark Ages and we started ascending as the Eastern uh, civilizations uh, which had been in their golden age before that they started going down, and so now the eastern civilizations seem to be rising up again, and so that we could be at a major shift here. So there's a lot of things happening.
0: Is that what you suspect?
1: I think, longer term, that was, uh, that's what's probably going to happen. I think you're going to see a more dominant. Uh, Eastern uh, civilization dominating the world here over the uh, you know, but it's going to be gradual. It's not going to happen overnight. But you know, you had but the China. China came out of a shell there in the last twenty, thirty years, and uh, I think that, that that you know, it's it's not going to, it's not going to be a smooth ride. It's going to be, you know, as Betty Davis said in the, in the movie, "It's got to fasten your seatbelt." It's going to be a bumpy ride. So you know, uh, China's being run by. <laughs> I mean, think of the paradox. It's really kind of funny. You got communists trying to run a capitalistic economy there. They don't know what they're doing. And so they're going to. Uh, you just, see it now. It's like amateurs trying to run a free markets, and then they don't know what they're doing. And so they're going to yeah. stumble.
0: And, Listen, and they're, they're Alan Greenspan problem. didn't. Norm, What's let's, that? Get uh, let's get real. Let's get real. No uh, Alan Greenspan didn't know what he was doing either, so there there's lots of, this idea of communists running a you know that's just a bunch of propaganda Well, the nobody knows what they're trick. doing the, the federal Fed Reserve the Bank doesn't know what they're doing they don't the Fed know has the bad. What they're doing I can
1: jump in Mitch. The Fed has a yeah. bad track record from the day they opened their doors as to how they manage the economy. They always tend to do the wrong thing at the wrong time. At the in 1929, you know they were yeah. uh, uh, cutting the money supply as the market, as the economy was going into a depression.
0: Yes, exactly. The whole idea of austerity is bizarre. In situations like this, yet it keeps being called upon. So, no, I appreciate your point. So, what I'm saying simply is that nobody's an expert in how these things work, and having some insight like you're bringing forward helps us to navigate somehow in the dark. Now, I want to just bring in um, the wonderful dear friend of mine, David Kassmeyer, who introduced the two of us, who has called in and wants to pose a question, so let me bring him in. Typically, I don't do this. I like to stay on point with my guests, but David is an exception, and I want to bring him on for uh, asking you, or me, the question. David Katzmeyer, welcome to A Better World.
2: Thank you, Mitchell. Are we connected?
0: We are. We are. Please ask your question.
2: Oh, Yes, sir. Oh my question. I if I may, I'd like to uh give a very brief uh comment on point with a couple of things mentioned so far and then ask a specific question regarding the economy to your guest Norm Winsky. May I do that? Go right ahead, please. Okay. Um first of all, thank you for having Norm Winsky on. I think he's a brilliant astrologer. I was already familiar with his work. I have read the Esther Trends newsletter and I have been amazed, and nothing's changed my mind in these last few years since I first found the works of Norm Winsky, so uh, I wish to support your choice of guests tonight. Now, uh, Norm, you you. mentioned uh, Chief Tecumseh um, and the curse against the presidents uh, when he was a Shawnee Indian of uh, up in the higher region. And he formed in a confederacy of Indian nations, traveled all the way up and down the Mississippi region, trying to unite even more tribes in a giant confederacy against the European expansion. Uh, He failed to unite everybody. Uh, He had some tragedies and all of these at times. And then there was the curse Uh, regarding the curse, the curse beginning in uh, 1840, um, that the curse was also nicknamed the zero factor. Every 20 years um, from 1840, 1860, 1880, 1900, and so on, uh, the president who was elected in that year would never survive to the end of his presidency, regardless of how many terms he was reelected and what term it happened. Like in, uh, it can be very short, in 1900, uh, McKinley uh, entered office uh, in January of 1901 and was shot very soon thereafter by an anarchist and that's when vice president Teddy Roosevelt took over uh Harding in 20 but Roosevelt was elected uh in 1940 and it was in his second term that he died in office uh from from ailments of course we lost uh president Kennedy and you make you sure wonder uh what? Did the when curse
0: FDR died
2: in his third term. Oh, excuse me. Uh, yes, you're absolutely right. He was elected in 1832. Uh, no, FDR. And then re-elected in 1840. So he was the president elected in uh, 19, 1940. 19. 1940 19. and died in 1945. Okay. His first term began in 1932. Excuse me. And yes. um, then it makes you wonder, did the curse just go away or is it fading away? Because... Uh, in 1980, when President uh, Reagan was elected, he did not die in office, which was consistent with the cyclical pattern, but he did take a bullet in the chest. Then, in the year 2000, uh, George Bush, Bush 41, was elected in 2000. He did not die in office, but the attacks of 9-11 uh, supposedly uh, the the plane that came down Shanksville, Pennsylvania and into the Pentagon and and the planes that went into the World Trade Center were not all of the planes. It was uh, reportedly uh, part of a massive attack that was planned as maybe as many as 16 planes. But when uh, all the planes were grounded and uh, reportedly, I can't confirm this, but that other plots were foiled in the process when all the planes across the nation were grounded, and one of the planes was targeting the White House and/or Capitol building. So, nope. was this an assassination attempt against the president as well? So it goes very interesting that every president, le- a president elected every twenty years, on the zero, on a year ending in zero, never lived to the end of their presidency, regardless how many terms they served. Uh, but then in, the pattern gets broken in 1980, President Reagan takes a bullet, doesn't die, and reportedly there's assassination attempts that included uh, the President uh, Bush as one of the targets. But
0: Well, I think you may meeting- have missed that part of the show, because uh, Norm did explain what happened during the Reagan presidency with a different 960-year cycle, which changed the element from Earth to Air. And that's what accounts for the fact that even though he was shot, he wasn't killed.
2: That would Norm, provide you wanna... a grounding answer for something that seemed inexplicably a pattern for so long. Um, now, uh, one final, very brief response, and then my question. Uh, uh, Norm, you mentioned that there seems to be a power shift from east to west. History does record it as such. The foundation for the study of cycles... Uh, has reported on what they believe to be a 500-year cycle in the power shifts between the East and the West. And the Orient certainly has been the pinnacle of civilization uh, at different times of history. You know, going all the way, you know back into the 1600s, back to the Great Wall, and on and on. Well, uh, according to that 500-year pattern, as reported by the Foundation for the study of cycles, and my own theory of cycles. There is a rising trend that will absolutely call for uh, the Orient to be a paragon, again, and this includes India in my estimation. But enough of what you said so far. I've, I've been long-winded. I want to ask a question since we're now hardcore in the economy, and I've been very impressed with your work there. Uh, Norm, uh, there is something that really befuddles economists. Uh, and it's called inversions, and it goes like this. They might be following hardcore data, and they might be following cycles analysis. What will happen is sometimes they get what's called an inversion, and an inversion goes like this. They say, uh, at such and such a time, our data suggests that the market is going to move up or it's going to move down or starting at this time, and it's going to move so much, last so long, and then come back to uh, uh, whatever this trend line is, all right? Very simple. It sounds a little vague, but here's the thing. Here's what the inversion is. Sometimes what happens, the prediction falls dead on. It does happen when they call for it. It does move about as much as they expected. It This change lasts for about as long as they expected it to, but get this it moves in exactly the opposite direction that they called it to do. They said it was going to go up for two weeks and go up by 15%. It goes down. And so what befuddles them in the inversions is they hit the time, they hit the amount, and they get the direction entirely wrong, and they never know when an inversion is going to come. They seem to not be very uh, often um and and so, I was wondering if there is anything in astrology planetary movement that could explain this phenomenon that the the economists what is causing an inversion?
1: okay, that's a question for me
2: yes yes, sir. Sir.
1: yes okay well i have a I've made a major advancement uh that I'm able to uh, with a high degree of high percentage batting average to forecast when these inversions are likely to occur whoa so based on the planets when the planets do a certain particular phenomenon uh, phenomena called a station point due to the relative motion of the earth the planets if you go out and plot the planets it appears that the planets individually look like occasionally they stop their motion and reverse their direction this is due to uh, the relative motion of the earth just like if you're driving on the highway and you're doing 60 and somebody past you doing 70 if you glance out your side window you might get the impression that you're actually you're going backwards when you know you're going forward. So that's what's happened with the planets. They have the appearance relative to the Earth that they stop their motion and reverse direction. When that happens that has the power potentially to invert the energy. So possibly so appears
0: as a it's described as a retrograde.
1: No, that's when you have a retrograde or direct. There's two kinds of station points. One where it stops the turn and go backwards, that's called retrograde. And when it starts to go forward, that's called
2: direct. Of course.
1: That's oh, my point. God.
2: This is this answers a fundamental question. I mean, I've heard some leading economists really scratching their heads over this. And uh, so let me get this straight. There's the word parallax. Parallax is the apparent uh, movement of a body in motion when viewed from another body of in motion. In other words, when you're looking on the Earth and you're following the other planets, uh, what does it look like when you look up in the sky? And because sometimes we'll pass a planet or a planet is on, you know, closer to the sun or further to the sun and our relation to, sometimes they look like they're going across the sky every night and then they'll stop and they'll go backwards, you know, because they might be one of the outer planets we're, and we're inside of that spinning around faster anyway. So um, so this retrograde motion So they might have been noticing the patterns in the market as influenced by these planetary motions, but what they don't account for is when one of us passes on the highway, as it were, a a circular highway, (laughs) and the retrograde begins, and it... uh, that's it, retrograde. Okay. Well, the
1: station point is what seems what's Thank you. To, seems yeah. to, to, to do it. So the planet can stop its motion. If you go out in the night sky and plot these planets, you would get the impression that the planets stop their motion and then reverse the direction. Just like when you throw a ball up in the air, there's that moment where the ball it seems to be suspended in the air before it comes back down. So the planets stop their motion and reverse their direction. And, they, you know it's, uh, you know, Mercury does that three or four times a year, for example. Mercury just turned retrograde last week. Jupiter turn retrograde, uh, I think Thursday night. And so that's uh, and when that happens sometimes the energy gets inverted. We can go from common turn astrological positive into negative phenomenon. energy or vice versa. Right.
2: This is huge. All right, you David Kat's my huge
0: question. Thank you.
2: Very hey, hey, much, Mitch, much for your
1: good question. Mitch, how much, much more time do we have?
0: Yes. Okay. Uh, I just wanna come around to just a couple of more minutes here. I wanted just to uh, wrap a particular piece of this up because related to something you were talking about, the bubbles, three bubbles, implosion, you made reference to the big short, I too saw it just recently, uh, I'm asserting without astrological information that that bubble isn't over, even though it popped in 2007 and 8. it has been underground, Fed by the Federal Reserve Bank, to the tune of many trillions of dollars propping up banks uh, you know for being at the roulette table, and now so much money has made these major five banks, five major banks, more powerful and richer than they were back then, and now we are heading toward you referred to it as a possible government implosion that 's the last vestige. What does Earth look like after? What is it that you see, and when is it that you see it, relative to all that you've said in your studying of these trends and cycles?
1: Well, I can't give you specifics. If we have a major financial collapse, I can't tell you what that's going to look like, other than all those those banks you talked about. They may not be around anymore. You know, but I just want to be people to be aware of, you know, many of the assumptions that people have, you've got to rethink them, that, you know, we could be at the end of a five, like uh, David said there, we might be at the end of a 500-year cycle here, and I see a pattern here that we learn, you learn certain principles from studying the markets which sort of relate to physics, and that is that one of the major patterns you see in chart reading is that you often will get three drives to a high or three drives to a low. Well, we had the internet bubble in 2000, we had the Real estate mortgage bubble in 2007 peak,
2: and and then yeah.
1: and now we have a possible government debt bubble, and so that's like three drives to a top. It's like a we have like a mega bubble forming here with these three smaller bubbles, form creating that you know.
0: Yes, exactly. So, so I I, then- I think
1: there's a good chance we may have seen the high back in May. I forecasted that to the day, May 19th, May 20th, as uh, we had a lineup there of a Mercury turning retrograde and a new moon within one day. And when I went and researched that back, I found out that doesn't hurt, occur very often. But in the one day, previous day that it occurred was October the eleventh, two 2007, which was the high day, in 2000, which led to the big collapse, you know.
0: Yes, indeed. So, well, in May short, 19th while you was an important day. What's that? While you, while you can't uh, give specifics, what you do foresee is a third bubble imploding. Uh, that's important. It, in itself,
1: I think it's a possibility. You know, I think you have to consider that. You know, I what, think you how do. are we going to do? How? What? Well, how? What is going to happen? How's that going to be? Uh, you know, managed? If is, is is there anything? that the government or the central Fed can do to alleviate that? I I don't know. It depends upon who's running things then, you know?
0: Yes, exactly. Well, as you said earlier, Norm, if the Fed misread uh, the 1929 crash and stopped producing more money and, uh, you know, injecting it in, but the opposite at a critical moment like that, what's to say that they know what to do now, you know? There
1: is no... There is no guarantee there, and there's another human factor Certainly. that goes into that formula, the money supply formula, that all the experts would tell you one of the major factors of the crash of 29 and leading to the depression was they didn't really understand how this stuff works, and so we now know, though, the major factor, you can go Google this, go look at monetary velocity. What is monetary velocity? How fast the money turns over. The chart for velocity has been declining, so that's why we have deflation. So you can't keep people from putting the money under their mattress or hanging on to their money. If they hang on to the money, then you tend to get a deflation, a recessionary, even depressionary-type environment. You can't control that. You can print all the money you want, but if people won't let go of the money, then the the economy is not going to grow.
0: Exactly. In other words, if it's not in circulation, uh, that leads to stagnation and death, as it does with the life force in the human body. So yep. it's really an analogy of same. So I get it. I get it. It's very Mitch, am I gonna have time
1: to share with my contact information with your folks?
0: Oh by all means. We're gonna to have to just have you back on, Norm, because I feel that we're inching toward a very important subject that uh I want to uh you know uh you know, really enter your technical genius when it comes to the future of money. But for now, okay. Please give your contact information so people can get in touch with you.
1: Okay, you can reach me, Norm Winske, WINSKI. W I N S K I. I'm in Florida at 239 594 3939. That was 239 594 3939. You can email me at N W I N S K I at Embark, as E M B A R Q M A I L dot com. Or if you're overseas, you can call me on Skype. My Skype address is N-O-R-M dot W-I-N-S-K-I. Or if you forget that, I'm the only, I think I'm the only Norm Winsky and all of Skype them. i so looking forward to helping some of your folks there with their investing and trading and so forth. And I trade, I cover about 30 different markets and give try to give precise uh, timing for these markets and looking for some good trading opportunities.
0: Norm Linsky, thank you very much for being guest on today's show. We'll have you back another time to look at the economy in general as well as some of the specifics. How people can benefit personally but how maybe we can understand the uh, the mechanisms of the game more thoroughly. Thanks again for being t- on today and we'll, we'll talk to you soon.
1: Thank you very much for having me on, Mitch. And hi, David Katz- Katzmeier. <laughs> nice to, uh, okay. to talk
0: to you. Happy New Year to you.
1: Take care. Thanks. Bye.
0: Sure. Bye-bye now. Very interesting. I hope you found that as fascinating as I did is very rich material. And the more you bear down with this kind of information, the more you can be well-guided by being well-informed. As they say, you know, knowledge is power and the many ways in which that really does show up in our lives. Yeah, very interesting. If you haven't seen the big short, I definitely recommend it, and if you uh, haven't seen Inside Job, which won the Academy Award for Best Documentary, oh, was that around 2010, I believe, uh, you should certainly make a point of seeing that as well both are telling the inside story of the 2007-2008 bubble, the crash. Uh, One focuses more on the market at large inside job and uh, government involvement, etc., SEC, and the big short focuses more on the mortgage crisis itself and what precipitated that and who knew what, when, and why. And it's really revealing. And my view is really that the bubble, uh, yes, it burst and then it got, the banks got propped up again through the Federal Reserve spreading its producing its cash out of thin air as usual and putting it into the wrong places, which of course were the major banks at zero interest, and a lot of people got very rich on our tax dollars to this day. Billions, and in fact trillions of dollars have been spread out among that, you know, top 1 to 5 or 6 percent and no one is telling that story but how we have literally injected this money into private pockets. And it's just one of the most horrendous stories, and nobody wants to tell it because it's it's too heartbreaking. It's, it's uh, the fact that, you know, during the G.W. Bush administration, when a, a pallet with $100 bills equaling a billion dollars, a billion dollars, showed up in Iraq to... Uh, for a little payola, yes, the United States government and payola, and it disappeared. There's no trace or track of a billion dollars of our hard earned money being paid in taxes going up in smoke as so much of our tax dollars do, literally in so many ways. Anyway, these are the kinds of things that I feel that we Americans and all people really need to know about because we're dealing with elements of human nature that need to be transformed. Otherwise, we're going to just keep getting uh, more of the same, same old, same old, a repeat on a horizontal level of change that's superficial but not meaningful, not depth, not with let's call it verticality. And that's what we need if we want to create a better world. So while it's very interesting and valuable and fun to be able to prosper from the various markets that are out there, and one of the things I did not get to ask Norm this time around, but will in a subsequent interview, is about the role of precious metals gold and silver in particular, and what he sees or foresees their role in the upcoming economy. I'd want to ask that also about seeds and what their role is in upcoming currencies. You betcha. Sure, because you can't eat gold and silver no matter how delicious they may look, but you sure can eat the uh, results of seeds and it could be that our economy is so tanking, and the world economy so tanking. Look at China right now, for instance, and the status of its stock market, and the reverberations it's having on markets across the world. We see that the U.S. dollar and other currencies are really taking a nosedive. The Russian economy as well. So, what is this a reflection of? I suggest it's a reflection of our state of mind. And in different ways, Norman was saying something very similar. The astrological perspective is showing how people's emotions and feelings, and that is interpretation of data as it's influenced by astrological information and patterns. Um, is uh, changing the rising and the falling of stocks, commodities, futures, etc. So it's a very interesting relationship between the stars and life on planet Earth. As they say, we're just made of stardust anyway that's fallen through the Earth, and even the dust in our windowsills is really cosmic in nature. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone who listens to this show, and it's astronomically attested. It's actually not my opinion at all. Anyway, listen, I want to just thank you all for tuning in. You know, we're at this prof- only precipitous time in our human history and uh, you know if we are going to emerge as the butterfly, well that is going to be utterly beautiful, but other indicators show us heading toward a sixth extinction. Yes folks, we have had five to date and all indicators show that we're heading precariously toward the 6th. And we have such things as hope and faith and intention and goodwill acts, and many of them, communities gathering together to do the right thing, shift the energy as it were, and provide food and shelter using such things as solar, etc. for energy instead of fossil fuels. We're heading in the right direction less uh methane being produced by uh by beef, by cattle I should say. Um is uh something that is still in the works but more people are getting the message or they are raising cattle on on grass and uh going back to the way things were before we've become chemicalized and we brought um uh, military thinking into every aspect of our lives, of wars on drugs and wars on poverty and, you know, it's wars on us is really what's going on here. And there's a war on money and economies right now. They may not say it that way, but that's clearly what's showing up. Anyway, I want to just say we're still operating our society on money, and that's a good thing in many ways. And, uh, as I said, precipitous than others, and uh, we've got to kind of put on our uh, seatbelts, as Norm was quoting Betty Davis. I don't know that that film, but um, I've used that phrase myself many times, and see what will be next. But. I hope this show was interesting to you and certainly uh, take the link from abetterworld.tv where you can also sign up for our free newsletter and share it with your family and your friends so more people can have the benefit of today's show and others. I want to also thank David Katzmeier, my dear friend and colleague, for introducing me, introducing me to Norm Winsky and recommending that I interview him and I'm very glad that I did and I've become apprised of his really, really rich body of work, no pun intended, but he's done very well based on his astrological forecasting and financial markets. Please remember that A Better World has recently become A Better World Foundation, and we are a non-profit corporation, of 501c3, and we are able to sustain based on your generous contributions. And those generation not those generations, those generous contributions are per your pocketbook. And uh, we understand that. So for some people, that's 100. For some people, it's 10. For others, it's 1,000. Others, it's 10,000. And that is not what we're counting, but we are appreciating any, any contribution which we feel is actually an investment in a better world. And it's so, so appreciated because it is what keeps us going. And we want to stay on the air and we want to expand our presence on the air. So with that, I want to just thank you again for coming and sharing and being part of the A Better World community. And with that, I want to bring on one of our favorite, favorite composers, and that is no one other than Mozart. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.